This episode is brought to you by Miller Lite. Look, here on The Ringer, we have our disagreements, but there shouldn't be any debate on this one. Miller Lite is the great-tasting light beer. With only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs, that's fewer calories and half the carbs of Bud Light. So there's really nothing more to talk about. If you want to have a real argument, let me hear it. Until then, stick with Miller Lite. Miller Lite, hold true. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict. Kevin! Verno, we got a good basketball game tonight until the fourth quarter, at least. Well, it was 119-106. to The Warriors end up beating the Houston Rockets in game number one. And I know a common refrain from what we just watched was... You know, you spend 82 games trying to get home court advantage and you lose it in mm. 48 minutes. The Rockets, uh, I think you know, this is not revisionist history, uh, just because of the way the game played out. Uh, most people thought this is a must win game in the sense that you've got to hold on to that home court advantage and beating the Warriors four out of seven times. Uh, though it would be a long shot, would seem possible. Beating them four out of the next six times seems like a very serious undertaking, which is what the Rockets are up against now. Um, your overarching thoughts on what we just witnessed? Well, two. I mean, two first initial thoughts. Kevin Durant and James Harden were outstanding, right? Mm-hmm. But for Houston to have a shot this series, Chris, they need more from their other guys. Ariza, 1 for 5. P.J. Tucker, 0 for 2. Luke Bayamute, 0 for 2. And that's all from three-point range. Bayamute total was only 0 for 6 from the field. I mean, they need more from the other guys on that team. Eric Gordon even blowing a layup inside. That, that, that's what Houston's going to need to really close the gap in this series. Their bench needs to be better. Their secondary guys, aside from Chris Paul, James Harden, and Clint Capella, need to show up. And Mike D'Antoni, after the game on James Harden, uh, his quote was, I'm just going to tell him that he needs to get 55 next time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but next time Kevin Durant might get 50 if he needs to. Kevin Durant had 37 points on 14 of 27 shooting tonight. And guess what? As impressive as he was on offense, he was also outstanding on the defensive end of the floor, altering shots, taking charges. He was just uh, sensational from from start to finish for the Golden State Warriors. Well, here's where I think if you are on the Houston side of things, you've got to be pretty dejected because they they had their best player play a great game offensively. Um, he was nothing defensively, and he looked tired for a good portion of the game. I don't know if they, you know, obviously they're they're trying to make him be defensively engaged all the time, and so maybe saving it for offense, whatever. Um. But you had your best player have a big scoring night. You had the same number of three-pointers hit, surprisingly, as the Warriors. 13 of 37 for the Rockets, 13 of 33 from the Warriors. And you lost by double digits. It's not a good look. It's not, it's not a know, good sign for moving I mean, forward if, in the if series. That, <laughs> if you get Harden to go off and you match them in three-pointer makes and you lose by double digits, you're in a tough spot. It's rough, man. I, I mean, like, really, the the, the main takeaway from the series doesn't essentially feel like 
Golden State just has the best player or second best player in the league. They have Kevin Durant. Like I said, yeah. Chris, he was. I mean, look, you can look at the stats and see 37 points, but his defense was just absolutely tremendous. Even some of the shots that James Harden hit switched on to KD. Durant made it hard on everybody on the defensive end of the floor. It was a, it was an absolutely fantastic performance. And by the way, you mentioned how you get 41 from Harden. It's not like Stephen Curry was lights out for Golden State. He's going to mm-hmm. have better games than 18 points on one of five from three. Curry's going to be better as well. Yeah, Curry will be better as well. Um, Draymond was unbelievable. I mean, he anchors that defense. I mean, he's blocking corner threes. He was way too amped up at the beginning of that game. Um, But once he settled down, as the game played on, you know, he is heart and soul of that thing. And defensively, the other thing is you see how important he is and how much he really has changed the game in that, you know, there were many times where you're watching that game and Capella was such a force of nature defensively for them um, in that in that Utah series. Well, that's because he could be close to the basket. Well, if you're pulling him all the way away from the basket, you're opening up those driving lanes again. I mean, how many times did you see a Capella like where he was back there towards the rim and was able to make a defensive impact. It seemed his defensive impact was because of his ridiculous ability to stay with perimeter guys making move to the basket, but that's like chase down stuff. He wasn't just able to be around the rim. Um, And then especially you even saw in that fourth quarter, he's not even in the game and Curry was just running a layup line to close out that game. And conversely, uh, to your original point about Draymond Green, there's the one possession. uh, I believe Houston was down 10 with around 230, 240 left in the fourth quarter. KD isolate, or rather Harden isolated against KD. Harden drives. KD manages to stay in front of him. Keeps him from the lane with no rim protection inside. Kicks it out to P.J. Tucker, who's fairly open in the corner. And then Draymond Green flies out of nowhere and blocks his shot. Warriors going back the other way. And I don't believe they scored in transition to complete the sequence. But it was just, to me, that play summed up the entire night for Golden State. Kevin Durant was outstanding. Draymond Green, he was (laughs) kind of going nutty early in the game, almost trying to bait referees into technical fouls, it seemed. But um, he was just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, and the other thing was, you know, we talk about when you were talking about the other guys for Houston, you know, in the end, the the, the bench scoring was close. It's the starters. That's the other issue, right? Like you got the you got the points from Harden, you got the points from Chris Paul. It's the rest of those starters. And, where you, Eric and, you, Gordon, and you got the iffy game from Chris Stephen Curry too. You got a lot of right. things that you needed to win a game. Yes, but you got one point out of P.J. Tucker. Ariza was in foul trouble. Right? He, caught, he caught that fifth foul less than three minutes into the second half, and that's that was a, a killer for them because they don't have a lot. I, I mean, Rashard Mbamute gave you nothing, like literally nothing. He is 0 of 6 on the field. Um, he's giving you nothing. He, he's now Gerald, 7 for 27 since returning from his shoulder injury. Just can't score right now. Yeah, Gerald Green, Gerald Green was just, I mean, he's a foul machine, right? He's got four fouls in the 16 minutes that he plays. And the other thing was, you know, you talk about how great Durant was. They don't have anybody to guard him. There's no great who, who choice does? to who make. Does? Who does? Well, 
Well, here's the thing. What you theoretically, what you would like is somebody with some level of size um, or somebody that can at least make him somewhat inefficient. I get it. He's 6'11". He can shoot over everybody. <laughs> but he came out of the box just absolutely. I mean, you can hold him to less than 95%, which is about what he shot for the first 20 minutes of that game, right? Um, they don't have anybody. They're, I mean, I guess Arise is your best shot. I mean, he was just shooting over Tucker. But, I mean, he they he took turns. I mean, at some point, you remember there was the one where they – uh what was it? <laughs> he threw Nene in there. Yeah. Like the first possession, they switched Nene onto him. And I know Nene's probably thinking to himself, oh, come on. Like now I get a turn at this. Like there's just nobody that I get it. There's no great matchup. It's kind of like when we talk about LeBron, there's no great matchup. But you saw with LeBron, at least for one game, Marcus Morris had some level of size and physicality to give to him. Um, and they don't really have anybody with size and physicality outside of Capella. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, yeah. KD scored on virtually everybody on Houston. Right? I know. That, that he scored on P.J. Tucker, scored on Bob Mute, scored on James Harden on switches, scored on Capella, sc- scored on Nene. Somehow Nene is defending Kevin Durant, like you said. Um, yeah, uh, K- KD showed off all the goods. He scored, well, scored from and- every range, every single type of play type. Uh, he he this was is fantastic. Also easier said than done. But through covering so many series and a ton of big playoff games uh, between the Grizzlies and the and the, uh, and the the Oklahoma City Thunder for so many Are years. Are you going to say they need to beat them up with size? Well, number one, <laughs> you try to show him. You try to show him multiple looks, but when Tony Allen would draw that assignment – the biggest key, and this is the this is the thing that they never did. The biggest thing to guarding somebody like uh, like a Kevin Durant is not letting him get the ball. Right, you make it hard for them. To, I know it's easier said than done, but the first line of defense against somebody like that is trying to jump those passing lanes and not let. And he was just getting it. I mean, he was just getting it, and now it's time to make a move. And you're almost, you know, what they what they say, barbecue chicken by the time the guy gets the ball. So the best thing you can do is ru- chase him off of every single screen and be right up next to him the entire time. Again, easier said than done. It takes an elite-level defender to try to pull that off. But, I mean, he's just catching the ball unimpeded every time. He's not even having to run off a ton of screens to get the ball. And so that would be the first thing. Um, but again, they don't have they don't have a bunch of great perimeter defenders on this team. They don't have, on Houston? Yes. They they have they, I I disagree. They have good no. defenders. Trevor Ariza, PJ Tucker, Chris Paul, Luke Bamute are all good defensive players. They're all plus defenders. That's one of the reasons why Houston had a top defense this year. It just so happens that it's like with LeBron James in the East and Kevin Durant in the West. Those are two guys you just can't stop. You can't stop them no matter how good of a defensive player you have. You just can't. KD is unbelievable. Maybe the solution is you got to double him, you got to trap him, and then make him pass the ball to some of the other guys on that team. But that leaves you that leaves you open to other possibilities where if you're leaving Andre Iguodala open or Draymond Green open, 
you want to bait them into shooting a spot up three, but if they drive and your defense need to collapse, needs to collapse in, those guys are elite passers for their position, and they're able to kick it out to other potential three-point shooters that come from after your defense sucks in to stop a drive. So it's like, it's hard to find a real solution other than like just hope and pray that Kevin Durant misses those shots over the smaller guys like Tucker or Paul. And I tweeted this out. I got a little blowback, but not much. I I thought their lack of hustle, especially down the stretch, was just appalling. I mean, they're bitching at the refs and watching. How many times did Clay Thompson take a wide open three in this game? One it was of, unbelievable. I mean, I, I know the nobody one, within 15 feet of the guy. The one everybody was tweeting about and talking about was just miscommunication on defense. I don't think that was effort. It was just poor communication. Just a two guys rotated in on. I believe it was Draymond Green on the pass rather than one of those. Kevin, he took on, on. he took 15 threes, most of which were un, like not, it wasn't exactly he was knocking them down with a hand in his face. <laughs> Fair, yeah. He he did he did have a lot of open threes. He shot but, fifteen. But, but, but like I said, that's one of the issues with defending Golden State. Like on some of those threes, it came after dribble penetration from from Stephen Curry. Defense collapses in because you need to collapse in on Curry. He's one of the best in the league at his position, finishing inside. So it's like it, it, there's really no clear solution for defending this Golden State team when they are rolling like they did tonight, minimizing turnovers passing the ball immaculately they played they played a really really strong game and they still didn't get that high level Stephen Curry performance that they could have and, and that will be coming eventually it felt to me like and we saw this where this this team and people that covered them throughout the entire year continually told me they just don't give a crap about this season like they just don't like they never have like really like cared. Every once in a while, like their attention will be gotten, but like once they got to the postseason, that's when they would really uh get it, it, the only team that really got their attention. Obviously, had the one game against the Spurs that they lost, and then you saw when they lost that game to the Pelicans, they came out that next game and made a statement. It was kind of like, all right, you have our attention, and. Because there was so much talk about uh, from the Houston side about how they were, you know, that's who they're gunning for. They know that's the team. That's the team they're built to be able to beat. On and on and on. And 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 then there were at least in some quarters people giving Houston a chance. Like there was no issue with having Golden State's attention. And boy, they had their. T- I mean, when they, I don't know, Kev. It just feels like when they're locked in. You're not beating them. You're just not. <laughs> for, for, for what it's worth, Chris, uh, Baxter Holmes uh, from ESPN just tweeted out uh, the stat. The Warriors scored 54 points on uncontested looks in Game 1, tying for the second most they've scored this postseason and the most the Rockets have allowed in the playoffs this season. Well, then tell me more about how good defensively they are. They're good. Really? <laughs> They're good. Really? They, they just scored. They, they, they literally defense. just scored the most uncontested <laughs> points. Like, what the hell are you talking oh. about? <laughs> Read not- the stat again, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> they had 54, I want to repeat it, they if had you will. 54 uncontested points. <laughs> right. Okay. But Houston had the number six defense for the season, and they were consistently really strong over the course of the season. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, the whole question, the whole the whole season in the playoffs was about, as you said earlier in the show, 
can can Clint Capella have the same influence on the defensive end of the floor that he did in the regular season? Can can all these guys can their style of play translate to the playoffs? It's like yeah, it can because they're here in the Western Conference Finals. It, it's also just one game. I don't think Capella was nearly as bad as well. You again, Ricky Rubio got hurt. Oh, but that's please. another story for please, another you're day. Telling me Utah, you're telling me Utah would have beaten Houston. I think Utah would have had a chance at beating them if they would not have gotten crippled. Yes. Please. And by the way, Capella was really, really good in that first half on switches, preventing present, uh, pre- preventing penetration. He was good in the first half. And, no, I, I'm, and, and, I, and I'm a little surprised that Mike D'Antoni didn't go with Capella later in that game. I'm honestly, honestly shocked by it. Hmm. Well, here's what we know. The Capella, you know, I was effusive in my praise about Capella during that Utah series. I do think that it tonight, as I was watching that game, it was the grand example of the insane issues that Draymond creates. I mean, there were these times where you're watching them drive to the basket. This is how Ariza got in foul trouble. It's why they were scattered all over the court all the time. It's because Capella, you know, I mean, like he can't just be there back by the basket. He just can't, you know? And if he's not there by the basket, there is nothing to stop you from scoring if you can beat your guy off the dribble, with the, which, of course, almost everybody on their team can. And if they don't, then they'll beat you off the dribble and then they just throw it out. Nick Young will bury a three. Like I said, Clay Thompson shot 18 times. 15 attempts were threes tonight, <laughs> most of which you were as close to him as a rocket and you were in L.A. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just don't. I, oh, oh, this does not. By, by the way, I, I mean, just about like getting the open shots. I, I just think it's worth noting that Golden State logged, according to Synergy Sports, 37 shot attempts that were from isolations or post-ups to only 34 for Houston. So it's not like it's not like Golden State is exempt from posting or isolating either. They got a lot of their points as a result of ISOs either leading the kickout passes or KD just shooting over guys. That was important for them tonight too, as it will be moving forward in the series, as it will be in the finals, regardless of the opponent, Cleveland or Boston. Golden State's going to use isolations as well, and we saw that a lot from KD tonight. Listen, if you get 41 out of out of James Harden and you get 23 and 11 out of Chris Paul and you still get your ass beat on your home floor, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel like they've got much of a shot in this series. I think like, you, I, I, what, if you, so if you're a Rockets you know? fan, if you're a Rockets fan, you're looking at this game like, okay, we're not going to get a night that bad from PJ Tucker or Bamute or or Trevor Ariza again. That's the way you're feeling. Like they're not going to shoot 1 for 9 combined from 3 again. Or if you want you want to factor in Ryan Anderson, one for ten. Want to factor in Chris Paul? Then it's two for uh, rather. I can't add. <laughs> then it's four, four of seventeen. It's like that's the way you're feeling if it's a rock. If you're a Rockets fan, that you're not, you're not going to get a shooting night. That that's poor. But the counter argument is pretty simple. You might not get forty one, a super efficient forty one from James Harden either. That's the fear. Uh, I think it goes without saying, considering James Harden has been the king of game ones. I mean, you see that stat they had tonight? He's averaged over 40 in game ones and and shot this ridiculous percentage. And then the rest of the series, and this is through the first couple of rounds, he has shot, you know, he's averaged like 20-something, 
to low twenties and shot thirty something percent. Yeah, that that, I mean, that that's going to be the big thing because you know it's a it's a huge load on him, isn't it, to isolate like that and then get attacked on defense. Fatigue's going to be a story of the series for him, I think. Well, and it was already tonight. You had people, you know, it's as you're watching the game. I was witnessing people talking about, like, noticing that he looked tired, that he was drenched. Yeah, right. Yeah, and this was not. This was by halftime. It's funny because in the first half, I tweeted how it it, it looked like he had a lot of energy, um, which he did. Like he had that huge big dunk. Then then a dunk on the following possession. He had you know life in his legs on his step backs. He looked really quick and and. You know, had a lot of bursts on his drives in the second half. Still good. I mean, he scored 17 points. He was, I mean, he was still effective. Um, but he, it did seem like he was uh, dragging a little bit more than he was in that first half. Let me do a little defense of Houston just for a second. And that is this. I hate the way they play basketball. You know this. I've talked about that throughout the year. I can't stand it. I, I, I think back, like, you know, and it's the juxtaposition between them and the Warriors, though everybody is totally allowed to re- resent the Warriors because Kevin Durant joined the 70 win team. I get it. Right. But like, if you read that, uh, Sam Amick wrote an article and I know this particular thing has been brought up before. It was really good today. And it was about how, like, it was kind of like a history of how Steve Kerr, one of the things that he did in order to, ensure that they would move the ball and play great offense. And it's one of the things he told the owners when he first got the job, which is, you know, the offense obviously is, was like middle of the pack, yet they had all these really good players. He, you know, I can fix this offense. And one of the things he did was like extreme amounts of ball movement, right? And they came up on, did, did you see this? The, the, the 300 number. So the number is 300. And that is passes per game. They want to get 300 passes per game as a team. Now, since Kerr has been there, they have offensively averaged anywhere between 306 to 323 passes per game, which seems like an extreme number to me. Um, but that's what they've averaged. And in fact, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I suppose tomorrow they will probably reference this number at some point. But the way they got them to really pay attention to this was they saw the results of the way that they were playing. And it's also why, uh, you know, as Amick writes, it's why Kevin Durant wanted to be there. It's the way he likes to play with the constant ball movement, whatever, because as you can imagine, Oklahoma City and the team he played on was like the worst at passing. Yes. Yeah. Right. They were the worst. So it, you went from one extreme to another. One team that hardly ever passes and plays all kinds of isolation basketball, like the one we are seeing across from the Warriors now, to this other team. And in fact, the way they got their attention is because they said, look what happens when you don't have 300 passes a game. And interestingly enough, in this postseason, they have lost twice. It is the only two games that they haven't had over 300 passes. Game four against San Antonio, 256, and in game three against New Orleans, 295. So only two times. And so they just constantly keep the ball moving, and that's why they are impossible to defend. And so anyways, I say all that to say there was a lot of grousing tonight on the broadcast about ISO basketball. How many times did you hear 
Reggie Miller or Chris Webber. Um, assuming you I'll didn't. Ta- mute I'll it. take the over. Okay, right. Whatever it was, all it was the time. it's the over. If, <laughs> if you're playing isolation, you got to do this, and this is what you get when you play isolation. And I'm, <laughs> like, dude, they their offense was unbelievable this year, and I don't like it. I don't like the foul hunting. I don't like the way they play. But there is no debating the at least the regular season and early postseason results. Now, if you want to say that you just can't play this way when you get to this level, I I can hear the argument, but I also think it's you're playing the Warriors, and frankly, your offense is going to look bad and your defense is going to look bad <laughs> if they're locked in. So there's my little defense for them. I I. I mean, st- because of their uh, D'Antoni's uh, lack of playoff success, and they'll say you can't play this way and win the whole thing. You can't shoot a million threes, and you can't just play isolation basketball and win the whole thing. Um, the truth is, more so than that, there might be a shred of truth to that. But more so than that, what you really can't do and win the whole thing is have to play the Warriors. <laughs> That's what I'd say. I mean, look, it's not like Houston didn't perform well on their right. isolations tonight, though. I mean, uh, right. I just I just pulled up the right. synergy stats and was just counting it offhand. This might not be perfect, but from what I counted, it looks like they scored 43 points on 33 isolation possessions, which is 1.3 points per possession, which is really, really good. Like, that's great. Right. Um, that's really fantastic. It's everything else that didn't work for them. Um, besides from the isolation away, look, I think, like I said earlier, Golden State isolated tonight too. They ran 37, they had 37 post ups or ISOs to 34 for Houston. It's not like Golden State doesn't use it either. They just do it differently. It just looks different. That's what Houston does. The, the way they do it is just different from everybody else. But well, the Golden other State thing isolates is, too. So doesn't Cleveland. The other thing is a lot of times Houston will be able to get you, you know, they'll get you points in transition. They'll murder you because they get the rebound, they fly it out there, and then they'll shoot the early three, right? And tonight, they were one of six. Uh, they had three points off fast breaks. Three. And that might have been at the beginning of the game. I'd have to go back and look. But the the Warriors had 18 fast break points. The Rockets had three the entire game. Yeah, Three fast break points. Yeah, and that, and that's that's a problem because um, that's again one of the byproducts of Golden State not turning the ball over, right? And once they and and it, it's truly amazing given the amount of times as we just chronicled they do pass when they have a low number of turnovers because they I mean you're you're talking they're trying to get to three hundred passes. Don't have less than 10 turnovers is incredible. Incredible. I mean, listen, Houston hardly ever passes, and they had more turnovers than that. You know, I'm looking at that fast break stat. Uh, I I wonder, uh, I pulled it up on Synergy, and they logged a lot more possessions, but, um, and fast break, but some of them were after makes when Houston just pushed the pace. Um, But I do wonder if maybe that's just the way the stat was counted. Maybe it's actually better than three. Um, I don't know. I'm, know. I'm just saying the, the uh, NBA official box score, yeah, right? They yeah. list. I wonder if that's, yeah, it just doesn't seem right. 
just yeah, you know, like I'm literally looking at the video right now, and I and I counted more than three, and like just a couple of plays. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't like know three what they're low uh, when you said it. I don't know. What, well, I mean, then you would yeah. add hometown scorekeepers. So, <laughs> right? And, and you know what? I mean, I'll tell you what. And a lot of the plays, just pulling it back up, like Golden State's, they got back on defense, right? Yeah. So you wouldn't count it necessarily as a quote unquote fast. Break. Yeah, maybe it has so to be it, odd man rush. Yeah, yeah. Three seems fair. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it has to be an odd man rush. But uh, all we know is after 65 wins um, this year, and they obviously had a, a great season, everyone is burying them. And I am too. I just don't see it, Kev. I mean, yeah, they might not get crap games out of Ariza and Tucker, but they got 41 out of James Harden. How many of these games do you think they're getting 41 out of him? <laughs> they're gonna need more. <laughs> it's like the Antonio I mean, like, said. Oh, it's like, it's like Mike Antonio said. Score, yep, have him score fifty-five, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, outside of that happening, and it has been very rare that him and Paul have been simultaneously awesome, right? And so this was—I mean, they got what sixty-four out of those two. I think you'd have signed up for that if you were pulling for the Rockets tonight. It's like, it's like we said to open, though. They need more from everybody else, too. Ariza needs to hit shots. Tucker needs to hit shots. Bayamute needs to start hitting layups, never never mind three-pointers. They need more from everybody else in that team. Yeah. Well, and Tucker, I mean, we could talk about a mega shot. He, you might want to take him, too. Took three shots the whole game. Guy played 35 minutes. <laughs> With 35 minutes, he took three shots. So you, you said you're burying Houston. How many games? I would be stunned if we see a sixth game. I would. So I think a lot of people are on the same page as you. A lot of people picked Golden State in five, it seemed like, on, on NBA Twitter. A lot, of, a lot of Warriors in five. Well, I mean, if you – I don't know what I was supposed to see tonight that was supposed to make me think that – Yes, uh, Golden State played really well. I mean, I think that if Golden State takes their foot off the gas or for whatever reason are not locked in, which they have done, they have, right? And then you get their attention the next game, they come out and beat your ass. This is what happened with the Pelican series. So, I mean, I suppose that's that's possible. But once their attention, I mean, then you would get their attention really quick. But I don't know, man. If you get 41 out of James Harden, you get 23 out of Chris Paul – you match them in three-point makes. You know, it was not a big Curry game. He was just kind of managing it, kind of playing pure point guard deal. And and if Capella is not going to be able to, you know, contest everything or contest more at the rim, I mean, hell, if he's got two blocks, I'll take it. If I'm because nobody else on their team can uh, block a shot. In fact, nobody did block. Uh, PJ Tucker had a block. Uh, I'm sorry. I think this stat from the ringer Zach Cram kind of sums it up for me, Chris. This is from at Zach Cram on Twitter. Nine Warriors played tonight. Eight shot at least fifty percent from the field, and the ninth, Draymond Green, tallied nine rebounds, nine assists, two steals, and two blocks. They got something from everybody on their team. Houston didn't. Yeah, that's for sure. And it's just one of those where I don't know. I mean, when you watch the Warriors when they are at the peak of their powers, and they typically can be if somebody really gets their attention. I talked to uh, Tim Bontemps today from the Washington Post, you know, who's covered the Warriors Tim. all year. And he told me, he's like, they want to annihilate Houston. Yeah. 
Like they are so tired of hearing about, you know, like it's it's weird because typically when you are as dominant as the Warriors have been and you've got the rings, it wouldn't irritate you. But for whatever reason, it has irritated them. And now they want to go out. Like Just the fact that anybody in the free world thinks that they could have a problem with Houston or that Houston is the best opponent that they faced or whatever it may be. Would it real is it really annoying you or or is it more like you're just sitting back chuckling like like you see Daryl Morey tweeting uh, tweeting out like the Rock'em Sock'em robots fighting right. each other and like the right. lo- the loading gif and if you're a Warriors player like I mean you you could end up being wrong because you could be overconfident but like if you're a Warriors player you're sitting back just chuckling like there's no way this Houston team could beat us we haven't even turned it on yet right like that's the way you would be thinking more so than I think being annoyed it's more like just almost really having the ultimate level of confidence. Maybe so. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't think I'm not, I'm not saying this because they got beaten by double digits on their home court in game one. I'm saying this because I, I thought this was true before this game ever took place. Um, I, I don't know if it was the best to always talk about, you know, we're built to beat them. That's the only thing we had in mind. I get that that's true, right? I get that you did build to beat them. I, I I get that it is the goal, and that's the only way you're going to be able to represent the Western Conference is by getting through them. Um, we wanted to get home court advantage so we'd have it against the Warriors. Like everything, like the Rockets from, <laughs> yeah, from, from front office on yeah. down have never been bashful about talking For about sure. the Warriors. And I wondered if, like, I think that's the recipe to get the locked-in Okay, let's see. Let's see how much you like talking now, Warriors, <laughs> rather than maybe they dick around. And I say that because what if Danny Ainge was saying all that? And what if Brad Stevens was saying all that? And what if they were talking about how their roster was built, you know, to be able to beat LeBron or whatever? Like, I kind of feel like maybe that's not what the Cavs look like in game one and LeBron looks like in game one. Right. Because sure. that's all out there. And so I don't think that served them well. I think you were just poking the bear. And then tonight, sure. obviously, you I mean, got I, what's it, coming to you. If I were an NBA GM, I would be very quiet. Like, I, I don't think I'd be on social media. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't talk much to the media. <laughs> um, I, I, tend, I would tend to take that approach where the, the less you say, the better, right? Um, because you're right, like any, any, anything that's said can be turned into bulletin board uh, material for the opponent, right? Like, so you mentioned the Celtics. I think it was maybe Tracy McGrady said, said something, or maybe it was Stephen A. Smith said something like how privately Jalen Brown said they're not afraid of LeBron or something like that. Um, like, if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, you're, you're taking that and you're using it as a little bit of extra motivation, right? That, that little bit you might not need, but every little bit helps. Anything that's going to push you just a little bit further – uh, you're going to take it. Um, and certainly if you're a Warriors player that's come off three straight NBA Finals appearances, two victories, including a dominant one last season uh, against LeBron James and, and and the Cavaliers, you're certainly sitting back thinking, yeah, that's just silly. We're, we're going to show you how dominant we really are and how far far away you guys are from us. Yeah, because you got to find some reason to to motivate. Everybody's you know, got them as the favorite. Everybody's picking them. Everybody thinks that they have, you know, assembled this yes. super team that everybody resents. In some bizarre way, you've turned them into thinking nobody believes in us, which is like <laughs> ridiculous, right? But and and I'll say this: 
Now, I do need to take one step back and say maybe it's not the best idea to poke the bear, but Marcus Morris did it, and it worked out for him in game one. So, you know, he said, I mean, he was talking his shit before that game ever started, and he did a great job. really talking, though. I mean, he said that he prepared, he was asked a question about how he's defended LeBron James in the past, and he pretty much just said, yeah, I've, I've done a really good job. I'm, I'm one of the best in the league at doing it, besides, I think, Kawhi. I don't know if that's talking trash or necessarily. No, it's, but then that because you know what everybody does. It's like, oh yeah, ask Ruben Patterson how this works. Yeah. You know, because they when they called him the Kobe stopper and whatever else, right? You never want to sure. be the guy saying, "I'm great at defending LeBron James," and, right? Oh, because, and, and by the way, like Marcus Morris wasn't necessarily the only I guy defending LeBron. I, I mean, it's like it was a, that was a team effort defending. But he did do a good job. Yeah, he did a good job, but a lot of guys defended LeBron. Like I, I wrote about on the Ringer, like that art, the the thing where they were switching on the entry pass to Love or LeBron James is a weird little wrinkle they threw in. It's like they, they had a bunch of guys defending them. It wasn't just Marcus Morris. Here's what I'll say: because one of the things is going to be like, well, what about the adjustments for Game Two? The thing we know about Houston is they play the way they play. They just do. We saw it last year. We we came on the Ringer podcast talking about like, hey, are they gonna like, are, are they just gonna go down like this against San Antonio? And they did. <laughs> they just never, they, right? They never, they never decided, hey, we're gonna, we are gonna get in the, you know, in the in those soft spots in that defense. They're they're trying to take us away at the rim, and they're just running us off the three point line, and. What they would do is they would run off the three-point line. So, of course, because you got run off a three-point line, and then they throw it right back out to the three-point line, right, and take a contested three. And it was like, hey, are you going to do I, – I do kind of feel that – I I mean, it's not like they're going to come out, whip it around all over the yard. Like, that's just not them, right? Like, that's – I guess you can say, well, what you got to hope is those guys just make shots. The next time around, but the idea that they're going to play radically different, um, I, I mean, obviously they can be better defensively. Clearly they can be better defensively. And what you want is to not let this game get into the one tens, right? Houston's best chance is because they play a slower game is to win a game 106 to 102, but 119 is untenable. I'd be very surprised if Houston's winning a game that they give up 119 in. You know what I'm but afraid of, Chris? What? You know, I think I forget if it was this podcast or another one where I was like, it's like we're going to get two NBA finals, right? Houston and Golden State. You said that, that yesterday yeah, on that yeah, on, yeah, the, on the pod. Yeah, and, and it's like, what if we get none? <laughs> If we get none, <laughs> yeah, like I mean, like in a, like Golden State sweeps like this series and they sweep the finals. <laughs> all the all the I, I'm not saying that'll happen, but if it were to happen, all the people that were, that said it's inevitable, they're gonna have a parade. Like I told you so. I told you it's inevitable. What's the point of all of this? This ex NBA existential crisis happening. <laughs> I weirdly think that Boston will put up a better fight. <laughs> Instead of Houston, no. Well, oh, yeah, it, okay. because okay. of their you, defense. You mean Boston against Cleveland rather than? No, no, no. I think Boston. I think Boston against, against the Warriors. <laughs> yes, 
I, I know what you're saying. How the hell is it? Because at least they've got a bunch of like athletes that are interchangeable and are great defensively. Yeah. If you, I but think they Cleveland don't have would, James Harden or Chris Paul though. But I think Cleveland would just get their ass kicked. Bad, bad. Hell, they got their ass kicked by oh, Boston in the yeah, first game. Yeah, like Cleveland's defense defending either of these teams. I know. No chance. No chance, right? Like LeBron would need to have the serious of his life, and he's had a lot of seriouses of his life over his historic Hall of Fame career. He would need to have the serious of his life to to win that against one of these two teams. No, I mean, honestly, like, all right, so it's through one game, and maybe this is going to sound crazy. If I told you right now, all right, the Warriors will play over under, uh, let's say, nine more games. It's <laughs> a good question. Uh, <laughs> I'll take the over still. Houston's really? going to. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because that would mean they go eight and one the rest of the, or rather, no, sorry, that would mean they would go uh, seven and two the rest of the way. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound that yeah. crazy now, does it? Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, is it, so that, that line's at nine. It's not like eight and a half. It's not nine. And oh, half. <laughs> I put it right at nine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll still go with the over. I still think Houston, you go with the over? I think Houston still gets hot and um, pulls out a couple of games here. Despite and everything they, we just talked about. <laughs> yeah. That, the, it it yeah. was rather discouraging. It tonight. was it was a very discouraging game, and and one of the reasons why it's especially discouraging is because Bamute has not shot the ball well ever since he returned. It's not like he just had one bad game; he just has not been impactful for over a week now. PJ Tucker and Trevor Ariza are good shooters, but they're not great shooters. Um, they need those guys to really, really heat it up. Or, I mean, the thing is, is like if they move on to like Ryan Anderson, it's like he's a defensive liability. So it's a balance issue for Houston. Yeah, you d- it, because one of the things is, like with Cleveland, people say there's at least the good debate about personnel, right? Okay, so you got beat up in game one. What do they need to do in game two in order to change things around? And at least one of the debates is, hey, should they be playing some of the young athletes? Should they be playing Tristan Thompson in the starting lineup and go with the two bigs, whatever? Like you look up and down Houston's roster and you go, okay, is there some kind of big personnel thing that you could do differently? And there's nothing. What are you going to dust off Joe Johnson, put him out there? I mean, like, honestly, actually, you know what? I give Joe Johnson a couple minutes on Durant, baby. He's bigger than hell. He is actually, (laughs) that sounds crazy, but he is the size. It it is crazy. He ain't going to get roasted any worse than these other dudes did. These guys were giving up. I mean, he's scoring every time he got the ball. I mean, what's like he going to do? That, I mean, how you could have put a damn traffic cone out there and they couldn't have given up more points to him. Uh, that's the issue with KD, man. He's on another level. I dust off Joe Johnson, let his old ass get out there and try to give him good, good. at least rough him up a little bit. Joe's, Joe's big now. Joe good. looks like he weighs about 260 pounds. Good luck to you, Coach Verna. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with anything. You're the one hanging on tight to Trevor Ariza, PJ Tucker, and Luke Richard Umbamute. Yeah, because they're better than Joe Johnson. <laughs> I, I, prove it. Prove it. You don't think Joe Johnson could have scored two 
Oh, come on. That had been, hey, oh, oh, hey, yeah, let's go back to the beginning when I goofed on PJ Tucker and oh, Richard and Bamute. They yeah. combined for one point tonight. <laughs> one more than you, Kev. <laughs> if you add uh, up their point total tonight, PJ Tucker and Umba Mute scored one more point than you. Thank so you. <laughs> they, they do have that going for them. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> yep. Yep. Your beloved Rockets. Yeah, my beloved I hated Rockets. to see yeah, it happen. Sure. <laughs> I hated to see it happen. I, 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 I so love their style of play. Ugh. <laughs> gross. All right, let's get to Boston and uh, and Cleveland. We'll do that right after these words. Support for today's Ringer NBA show comes from Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams is your hub for teamwork in Office 365. With so much to look after, wouldn't it be great if there was just one place to look? Teams is that single workplace where you can work, share, and connect with the people in your work life. Teams brings together your chats, meetings, files, and apps all in one place. Take teamwork where you work with apps for mobile and desktop. So whether you're sprinting towards a deadline or sharing your next big idea, teams can help you and your team achieve even more. We saw an awful lot of teamwork from the Golden State Warriors tonight against the Houston Rockets. And Lord knows, Kevin O'Connor and I use teamwork to come up with the Ringer NBA show every week. Microsoft Teams in Office 365. Visit office.com slash teams to learn more. All right, Kev, uh, Boston and Cleveland are going to play in a game two tonight. I think most people uh, expect a big rebound game from LeBron James, who he uh, he said after the game, totally unconcerned, said it was a feel out game um, and that, uh, you know, he, he's just not worried about it at all. He was five of 16 from the field. Kevin Love was five of 14 from the field. Uh, Love. James, uh, they had 17 and 15, respectively. The only other guys on that team in double digits were Clarkson and Rodney Hood. As a team, they shot four of 26 from three. I've heard a lot of people say that. They're not going to go four of 26 from three again. Um, and uh, the one thing I would say is it was not just like sometimes you watch these games and it was a one-quarter blast. Like we just saw it in the last round where Houston would win a quarter. What the, didn't they score 50 in one of the quarters? It was like 50 to 20 or like they'd win a quarter 41 to 18 or some crap. And that's how they blew somebody out. And then the rest of the time you're just kind of playing catch up, but Utah might win the other, you know, three quarters. Well, Boston won all but one quarter. And that's when they were up by a million. They won the first quarter, the, the other three quarters outside of the one that they lost, they won by 18 points, eight points, and 11 points. So it was rather dominant up and down the line in that game. So it seems like everybody in the free world thinks LeBron and the Cavs are going to rebound for a game two. What say you? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I I mean, you it's do. like you said, they're not going to get a, as poor of a shooting performance. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Ty Lu hinted today that they'll insert Tristan Thompson into the starting five, which is, I think, a good move. I think it's something that they should have strongly considered to do for game one. And maybe they did. Maybe they thought about it. They just didn't do it because the four out shooters around LeBron is so fantastic in the last two rounds. Um, but I think Thompson... 
it maybe forces or influences maybe uh, Boston to keep Aaron Baines on the floor. Um, Thompson played 21 minutes last game, and Baines was on the floor for 18 of those. And Boston is at their best when Al Horford is at the five with Morris at the four and Tatum, Rosier Brown out there. Um, they're not at their best when it's a Baines-Horford front court. Um, so if you're Cleveland, if you can influence Boston into going with that two-big front court, then I think that's good. Um, but they do certainly need to um, – Figure out beating up on those some of those switches when Boston was um, switching out Rozier. Um, the love needs to be better, um, but Boston's defense is just really fantastic. They 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 need guys that hit their open shots and they need to attack those switches successfully. Do you buy that game one was a massive indictment of the Raptors? It, I mean that series was a bad matchup for them. They had nobody to defend Kevin Love. Boston has multiple guys who can defend Kevin Love. Al Horford. Um, uh, they also have a guy like who can really expose Kevin Love on the other end, too. Al Horford had some easy drive-bys against Kevin Love. Another reason to play Tristan Thompson and instead put Love on Baines. Um, it was, that was just a really bad matchup for the Toronto Raptors. I'm not sure it's an indictment on them by any means. Boston is the best defense in basketball. Toronto didn't. They've been average since March. Um, Boston has guys who can stop Kevin Love. Toronto didn't. Maybe it's an indictment against their roster. Construct more so than their, their uh, what I mean is like it was mm-hmm. just a bad matchup and they just didn't have the right pieces to beat Cleveland, but they're still you a good all, team if that makes any sense. Yeah, you also see, and I know you chronicled this quite a bit, was about the uh, about their their defense really falling off the last two three months of the season. Toronto, it's they were average. not. Yeah, they were not the defensive team that they had been throughout the year. Obviously, a good portion of that is their inability to guard the three-point line. It's juxtaposed against Boston, who they're great at guarding the three-point line. You and I talked about this over the course of the last couple of weeks. It's not coincidence that teams have shot extremely poorly from three against them. And that was one of the stories of the Philadelphia series. Routinely, you were seeing their numbers in the 20s. And so, yeah, four out of 26 is pretty extreme for game one, but they're not going to shoot a high percentage. And I just say that because nobody shoots a high percentage against Boston. And you take that into consideration versus what happened in that Toronto series. Cleveland as a team shot over 40% from three against them, against Toronto. And so that's not necessarily just a we don't have the personnel or the matchups are bad they just were not nearly the defensive team that they should have been at guarding the three-point line especially against a Cleveland team who like that's what they that the guys that LeBron really wants to play with they're not guys that are going to beat you off the dribble all the time right like they're it's Kyle Korver it's J.R. Smith these guys aren't these guys aren't driving on you What you've got to stop them from doing is being able to knock down threes. And we know this. They shot 41% during that series, Kev. They were – I mean, they blew game one and they got a friggin', uh, you know, uh, offhand runner damn near uh, hit against them um, in game three, right? Yeah, game three. So, I mean, they were right there in two of those games. And I don't know. I mean – Obviously, it's it's a bit of an indictment of Toronto, but the Boston defense thing is is real. And so, while everybody expects LeBron to just dominate and destroy everybody, and 
Cleveland to be great. I mean, wasn't there part of you that watched game one thinking, uh, you know what? We kind of saw this in the Pacer series. His supporting cast is not exactly lights out. Yeah, I mean, we saw it the whole damn season. Yeah, <laughs> like right. I mean, we saw that happen in October. I mean, look, it was I think it was late October when LeBron said back then he's like not panicking either, <laughs> you know. And it's the type of thing. Yeah, there was reason to panic. That's why they had their big trade deadline, making all the moves that they did. There was reason to panic. And right now, there also is reason to panic, too, because the rest of that roster is not that good. I mean, they could still beat Boston because, guess what? They have LeBron James. They're going to have some games where Corver and Smith heat up and hit threes. This isn't going to be a sweep or may, probably not even a five-game series win for Boston. It's not going to be that. Cleveland still has talent that can heat up. Kevin Love's still a really good player. The issue is, is matchups. Boston has the ability to play any type of way, regardless of the opponent. If Cleveland goes big, Boston can go big too. The question is going to be, does whatever does whatever Cleveland gains from having Thompson out there really make enough of a difference factoring in what Boston loses by having Baines out there? So Thompson should help on Al Horford. He should help there. He should help on the offensive boards. But do they have to play Baines if they play Thompson? No, they don't. But right? if you don't play Baines then you're really, really liable on the boards against Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, who in the past has really beat up on Al Horford. When Horford was in the Hawks, he did. When last year with the Celtics, Thompson did as well. Horford has had a hard time against Thompson on the boards, never mind if Love's out there as well. So you're right. No, you don't have to play Baines, but that's also a risk in and of itself too. And maybe well, that's what Boston t- does. Maybe Boston yeah. says, you know what, screw it. We're just going with Horford and we're going to run you off the floor. Well, yeah, because couldn't you see a scenario much like we talked about in the Houston game tonight? They pulled him they, when, when they were pulling Capella all the way away from the basket, right? Because Draymond's at the top of the key with the ball. So Capella's up there guarding him. If he's not, you know, on a switch where he's got to guard a perimeter guy, you, there were many times where they've got him 25 feet away from the basket. So we know Al Horford's shot is that top of the key three. He shoots that way better than Draymond shoots it, right? And Draymond will shoot it if he's open. Horford's but a great three-point shooter. Yeah. Especially from there, right? That's his – you always feel like – I always feel like it's going in if he gets a good look from that top of the key. Well, what if I put him up there? Now all of a sudden, you know, this is a little bit different than the Horford, you know, whatever, problems of the past because if you put him out there, if you can get Thompson away from the basket, well, like – Brown can drive and Tatum can drive and Rozier can drive. Like all those guys can drive. And maybe you set up a scenario like the Warriors tonight where you've got Capella way away from the basket. And so, you know, there's there's nobody uh, guarding the hen house, as they say. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I think one of the things that might remove Chris is that uh, so like there's a few instances during the game where Horford, you know, was at the three point line, Love closed out, and Horford just blew right by him either for a layout or a kickout pass. Um, and I think Thompson would be better at at containing that dribble penetration from Horford, who not just a shooter, um, but also a really good ball handler and a really good passer as well. One of the best passers at the big man position in the NBA. Um, so that's where Thompson, I think, would help more. So like Horford's still going to pull guys out no matter what. So may- maybe it's more or less that Baines in the corner, that might be the guy you help off of, and you bank on him not hitting threes like he magically did in the last round against the Sixers. It would be kind of crazy if Tristan Thompson like becomes like, I mean, I know 
he has been better over the course of the last couple of weeks. I mean, he was terrible all, all year, Kevin. Yeah, all like year. awful, yeah. awful, like appallingly bad. And now it's like the answer for the Celtics is to have to play Tristan Thompson. It's the damnedest thing. Like yeah. what? He sucks all year. I wonder if there's a cause and effect for the reason of that uh, second half surge for him. So, what do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I wonder what it you could be. Know? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> he was. Uh, I know this. I know that he was terrible all year long, yeah. and all. And I, I was. I was kind of tripping out because yeah. after game one, and then it's something like, happened. Hey, they, they might have to play Tristan Thompson, and I'm like, wait, what? Like now they're ca- if you're counting on Tristan Thompson, I don't know, man. Because I mean, we got a pretty big sample size that he's been crap, but maybe he can have this. You know, like listen, you know who else was crap all year? Andre Iguodala. He didn't look like crap tonight. You know, when uh, now when the big lights come on, it, Draymond didn't have that great of a year, and when the big lights come on. These guys have showed up. Maybe Thompson's got I mean, that they, going for Gold they know. coasted all year. And then for I know. you know, to be in all seriousness about Thompson, he is an important player in the series because odds are he's gonna start game two. Odds are Boston's gonna have to adjust. It's really about what is the impact on the offensive boards. Does having Thompson crash the offensive boards give you an edge or does having him crash end up making you even more prone to getting beat up the floor because he's inside and you have one less guy back? Does that hurt you? Is he? Does the lack of spacing hurt you on the offensive end of the floor? Or is the benefit of having a rim runner out there versus a less versatile defense help you? It, it, it's who, who really knows what's going to happen, but I think it's worth trying. I think Thompson needs to have a game where he plays a lot in the first half, see how it goes, and, and if it's working well, He's going to log 30-plus minutes. If it's not working well, then maybe you go back to that four-out offense. Well, it'll be super interesting to see what Tyron Lue does, especially if they drop. If they get beat again, and personnel-wise, what you do, because we saw this in that Pacers series, right? It all got skewed because they they looked like themselves again. They looked like a team that was headed to the NBA Finals again, and they just mollywhopped uh, Toronto. But if they... The guy, and, and that was because in that Pacer series, you know, I remember hearing Brian Windhorst say this. He said LeBron was going to go down with the guys that he's been with. And so he's the reason that he's out there with J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson and Kyle Korver and these guys that he's been running with for a long time, right? Well, those are the guys he wants to run with and certainly the ones that he was like, if I'm losing, I ain't losing because of Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance and Rodney Hood and all these guys, right? I'm going down with the guys that have been through the wars with me. And it paid dividends, and obviously they won against the Pacers. And then they had no problems with the Raptors. I don't know if that personnel is the best suited to beat the Celtics. I know the it's opinions not. are ultra low on Clarkson and Hood and Nance and whatever else. But those guys are, like, certainly much better athletes and the ability to not only shoot but also possibly drive against you. And that's where I think Boston causes them a big problem because, like we said, what do you do if you can't shoot a high percentage from three? 
The guys that LeBron really loves to run with, that's all they do, Kevin. They're not beating you anywhere else except the three-point line. JR and Kyle aren't. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I think this as well, there's... Boston can get more from Jason Tatum as well. He only had 11 shots in game one, the fewest he had ever since game five against Milwaukee, which was on April 24th, um, quite a long time ago now at this point, uh, even though it feels like yesterday in a way. Uh, Jason Tatum, they can get more out of Tatum if, Tatum if they need it. They just didn't need it in game one. It was a blowout. Um, well, but, you know but what's if, it's fa- close, if it's a close game, Chris, he hit, yep. those, he hit those, spot up, those threes off the dribble. Unbelievable. You know what's fascinating to me, too? I thought back to, and again, it was just a moment in time. But you remember after they made the deals at the trade deadline, and that first game we saw them, they played that afternoon game at Boston, they just killed them. Remember that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But that was Clarkson and Hood and Nance. It was like all those new guys. And it was like, whoa, now. He traded in, you know, Isaiah Thomas and Dwayne Wade and and Drake Crowder, and these, these dudes he was running with. And now, you know, we were all... We all overreacted to that for sure. It was like, damn, man, they haven't even practiced together and look at them. But I do think there was maybe some of that that was relevant in the sense that 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 might actually be LeBron and the and and the young athletes might be the best kind of matchup against Boston rather than his his older guys he's comfortable with. Sure. It's very possible. But on the other hand, you can look at Jordan Clarkson. He's just a total sieve on defense, and he offers very little uh, on the offensive end of the floor except for firing up poor shots. Uh, Rodney Hood is as inconsistent as ever. At least George Hill's kind of giving him something, right? Um, but other Why than does that, Nance not play at all? I don't know. I, I think part of the reason, again, is because it's like Thompson has just performed better. Thompson has surpassed him in the rotation. Thompson's back, right? Um, Thompson's LeBron's guy. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and Thompson's been much better lately. Maybe look, let's say let's say it goes well with Thompson. Let's say they play him in the first half and he's unbelievable. Guess what? Maybe if you're Ty Lue, you're thinking, hmm, let's bring Nance off the bench and continue playing big. Maybe that's Matt, maybe that's the approach. Maybe you try that out. I feel like Nance has a place in the series though. Well, yeah, Maybe I'm crazy. yeah. If Thompson does well, then I think it's like, hmm, let's do this with with Larry Nance. If Thompson's off the floor, let's have Nance in the game. Try to make Boston play as big as they have to over the course of the entire game because they're the Celtics are at their best with Al Horford at the five. They are at their best when Al Horford is at the five, and if you can take that away from them by by using big lineups. Then good. <laughs> it's great for you if you're the Cavaliers. If that doesn't work, then I'm not sure what many what solutions there are other than hope, you know, your three-point shooters get hot and LeBron James is LeBron James. There's not a lot else, I think. I think that this would it, listen, there's gonna be a portion of our audience that's gonna be like, oh yeah, great, really go out on a limb there. Um <laughs> if I say if I say oh, that's a really good impression, Chris. Yeah, unbelievable. That's a, that's a, that's what they sound like in my head when I say this. Wow. I do think wow. I, I do think that if Boston wins game two, that they will win the series. And I know that, like I said, let me go back. Oh, yeah, great prediction. If they're up 2-0, look at the numbers. Because it, I do feel like it's like, I know that well, 80%. When, 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 I, when I read comments from the fans, I, I hear the voice of George Clooney yeah. in my head. Yeah, when it's like 80, <laughs> like it's 80-something percent of the pe- teams that have gone up 2-0, whatever. Like, I, you throw all that shit out when you're talking about LeBron, to me. 
right? Because there will still be, I bet, like, uh, Boston will be like barely favored to win. They're still not favored to win the series, by the way. They're still the underdog. And even if they win game two, it'll probably be like a slight favorite to win the series. That's what Vegas will tell you. Um, but I really kind of think if, if Cleveland and LeBron can't bounce back in a game two, then I, then that's when I'll think, okay, they're like, they're actually are going to lose this thing. Like I, I do think that if Boston, now in fairness, Boston's been horrific on the road so far in the playoffs. Um, but I just kind of feel like if Boston wins tonight, that they'll win the series. Maybe, uh, yeah, do you, do you, I'm, I'm with you. you. That if, no? if Boston goes up 2-0, the series is a wrap. Um, you think so? Yeah, I, I mean. I think most people will not think that. I mean. Because if look, anybody could beat you four out of the next five games, it's LeBron. We yeah, know that. Sure. I mean, LeBron James is LeBron James. But it, put it this way. If the game goes anything at all like game one did, uh, yeah, that, that that's scary for Cleveland. It just will not feel to me like your typical all they did was hold home court advantage. Because I know that will be the sentiment, right? All they did was hold serve. Series doesn't start until you lose a game at home, and they've been crap on the road, and Cleveland will tie it up at two, and then it's, you know, best out of three. So even if they win, a lot of people are are not going to think they win the series. But you and I are on the same page. If they win game two, we both think they win the series. Yeah. Look at us agreeing. Unbelievable. That's and great. <laughs> The Memphis Grizzlies are going to get the number one pick in the lottery tonight. Do you agree? No. Who are they going to take? Well, <laughs> I, 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 let's, just, let's say they do. Who are they going to take? There, I. This is what I hope. This would the only. I don't Tim even Martin care. Bagley. <laughs> no, I don't even care. No, okay. no, no. You flip yeah. it. You oh, do you the. Tra- you trade down. You, you do the Tatum deal. I mm. want Marvin Bagley. Yes, I want Marvin Bagley. But. If all these mockery drafts are right, mockery and drafts. DeAndre Ayton or Luka Doncic uh, is going to go number one, then I try to pull the Danny Ainge, and I get the best player, yep. and I get something else. It's it's, a and no, I get to trade down. To it's do a it. no brainer. If, if I wrote about this after the lottery last year, and I don't know if I'm writing after the lottery tomorrow or rather tonight. Sorry, Tuesday night. Um, but if I do, I would write the same thing. Like the team that wins the lottery. If they have a guy in the draft that they perceive as the number one player and they can get them with the fourth pick or the fifth pick, trade down, trade down. Just, you it, would agree that this is not the this is not the year like it was where I mean, you could go through so many of them. It was uh, Carl Towns or Anthony Davis or John Wall or Blake Griffin or it was uh, Ben Simmons even. Foregone conclusion, who was going to be the number one pick overall? And and there was a massive gap perceived between No, it's not that year. It it just doesn't feel like that at all. This feels more like the Anthony Bennett year with Nerlens Noel and Ben McLemore. It's not the Anthony Bennett. It's more like the 2014 year with Wiggins and Bede and Parker where you had some people that had and Bede won. You had some people that argued it's Parker, some who said Wiggins. It's more like that year. It's not. It's not well, like let's thir- go back thir- in time. Nobody 13, thought thirteen was a crap draft, dude. Nobody thought that. Nobody yeah, thought what are you that talking at the time. About? Yes, they did. Everybody okay. said it was a bad draft at the time because it was. What that draft had, it turned out to be the truth. It had some pretty solid role players. 
That's what it had in that draft. And then it also well, here's had what I'll tell Kupo. About three months ago, I told you that I started watching all the, because the, because the way the season was going, I was watching all these college games and I was like, this, this draft is insanely overrated and it is nowhere near the talent of last year's. And I feel totally justified, and 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 I got all kinds of oh, that's a bad yeah, take. but it's you not twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen was oh, a no, bad fine. draft. I just uh, listen. I was not saying the talent level. Oh. I was saying in that we got to draft night that year, and people were predicting Nerlens Noel. Fair. People were de- predicting Ben McLemore. Uh, people were predicting all manner of people to go number one. Then go with fourteen because he had Wiggins versus Parker versus Embiid. But we still knew Wiggins was going one. We did. We knew Wiggins was going. But one yeah, but year. in terms of yeah, but who cares about who's actually going one? It's about like which player should go one, not Marvin about who Bagley. will. I already told you. <sighs> like this year, like you have the factor with Luka Doncic. He's overseas. He's probably not coming over to the states. He. Yeah, I mean, there's question about where which teams he'll send his medical records to and which ones he won't. Um, mm-hmm. So there are some teams that would take him number one. There are some teams that won't. There are some people that consider him not enough of a shot creator against athletic defenders. There are some who are like, hell no, man. Like that dude's feel for the game is elite. Um, there are some who are worried about DeAndre Ayton's defensive uh, issues. There are some who overlook it because they think he's going to be so overwhelming offensively. There are some people who think Jaron Jackson is one of the safest picks in the draft because of his two-way play, but also has the upside to be the best player in the draft. There's three four or five guys in this draft that people are arguing as the number one pick. Well, and, and, really and every every NBA guy I talk to says the massive wild card is Porter and what he does in workouts. Yeah, because I, I could see him rising. Was, yeah. Well, it was just a, 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 by all accounts, an extremely bad example of the player that he is when we saw him in that game where they lost to Georgia in the SEC tournament and then their the disgusting effort in the NCAA tournament. But that that was a poor representation of what Michael Porter is. And so everybody, you know, you don't know. The guy had back surgery, for God's sakes. I'll tell you this. I've been watching all the, like, uh, I, I one of the things I go and I watch, I try to watch their interviews. Like I try to pull up these prospects and the interviews that they've done over the years. <laughs> I, I went through that today. With, you did with, with the top sixty. Yeah, I, I, I watched the interviews of all sixty guys the past twenty four forty eight hours. Did you see? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen? Have you seen the one with Jared Jackson where he talks about his favorite TV show? Yes. Yeah. Very engaging. Rick and kid. Morty. Yeah. He knows every episode. Of Rick and Morty, yeah. and in fact was like recalling them, yeah. and can give like details of it and his favorite episodes and whatever else. It, I was like, it's wow. kind of like LeBron recalling <laughs> yeah. the dismal fourth quarter stretch for the Cavaliers. Oh God, the Twitter fellatio he got for that. <laughs> Good grief. You gotta be kidding me! It was Guy so got- funny. Even the media in the room laughed about it. It's like. They're giving him a standing ovation, for God's <laughs> sakes. I, I wasn't nearly as impressed, to be honest with you. It's like I told you, in that, in that GOAT argument, listen, I will say, Michael Jordan never precisely recounted how he got slaughtered. <laughs> so that is a big point for LeBron. A big point for LeBron. <laughs> big point for LeBron. Uh, who needs the lottery win the most? The Sacramento Kings. They don't the have Kings. a pick in 2019. That's the main reason why. And, ah. and their team's not good. <laughs> That's the other reason. Oh, they, uh, yeah. 
Hey, reasonable point. Yeah, two, two good points. <laughs> they don't have a 2019 hey, first listen, and their team's not good. I'm going to give you a little clue. Outside of Boston, who has that pick and might be able to get it, right? Or Cleveland, who has a pick that could very well be in the lottery. Um, none of the teams are good, Kev. Sure. That's why they're there. Yeah, That's sure. why they're yeah, there. Not, so not, your not Sacramento yeah. argument of they're not good doesn't really yeah. none of the teams yeah, are good. Look, put it that way. Put it this way. Like they're they're not <laughs> they're less bad than some of the other teams. Like Atlanta has pretty much nothing <laughs> on their team. Uh yeah, Sacramento has De'Aaron Fox and some other nice intriguing young players. So, you know, they're not good, but the main point is they don't have the 2019 first. All these other teams have their picks. So how did Sacramento lose that 19 pick? Was it the Stauskas deal? Yeah, it, it was the, St- the Stauskas deal, and then it got flipped again and again, and then obviously ended up um, as the, the the potential swap pick in the Boston-Philly deal, where if the Celtics if the Celtics pick lands at the two or three spot, they get it. Otherwise, it stays with Philly this year, and they would instead get a top one protected Kings pick next year. But yeah, it all started with that amazing Stauskas deal. Many many years ago, is he in the NBA? Uh, he was. I swear he, to God, he was, I don't... he was sitting baseline for the Sixers playoff games. Oh, he was. <laughs> he was sitting baseline, not not in team uniform. So oh, he's but, still but he, on the he, roster. He, he is in the NBA. Yeah, he was uh, between Philly and Brooklyn this year. Oh, I I swear to God, I never heard his name one time this season. Kind of like you never heard Rashawn Holmes. That's a throwback for longtime listeners of the Ringer oh, NBA God. show. <laughs> I didn't hear about him during that series either, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. Did That's you? True. No, I didn't. <laughs> did, did, did he get a minute against the Celtics? Did th- he get a minute? Yeah, I think he got a minute. I'm pretty he sure. He got one minute? I'm pretty sure he got a minute, yeah. Oh, maybe maybe that, maybe that maybe he was the reason maybe, they lost that series. They should have yeah, he, he played him. He got two minutes in game one. He went 0 for 1. May, oh. may, maybe you left the room to like heat up some popcorn or something during, during those two minutes or something like that. Listen, you got to make the most of your opportunities. If you get one minute, you got to do something. <laughs> one shot. That one was opportunity. Hey, There's one more minute than Markel Fultz. Oh, God. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. That's mean. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying. Um, You're not being mean. You're being true and honest. honest. It's the truth. Yeah. I'm, being, I'm being honest. Uh, I do want to mention this in regards to the lottery being – uh, what will be tonight when most of the people download this and listen to it. Uh, the Ringer has updated their draft guide. If you have not gone and checked it out yet, now 60 profiles and also team needs are included on this. And that is, uh, give them the special link for that kid yeah, so they it, could just type it in directly. They can find it at nbadraft.theringer.com. It's probably also going to be pinned somewhere on the top of the ringer.com. It'll definitely be pinned on my um my Twitter handle at Kevin O'Connor NBA. You can find it there at the top. Um, but yeah, check it out. We get 60 profiles now of my scouting reports. We get rankings from me, Jonathan Charks, Danny Chow, and then team needs pages that we all really pitched in and did, did together. Shout out to to Tom and Shocker for really ca- helping carry the load on that too. And everybody else, uh, it's a big, big group, group effort with this. It will be awesome for sure. I cannot wait. And uh, and then I'll just write down all the stuff I disagree with in preparation for the Elverno Diablo draft guide. Yeah, and we got to get you on draft class on Friday. Once we find out where oh, Memphis yeah. is picking, we we got to get you on for that. Oh uh, yeah, because so so I'll have to do. A, yeah, so you can talk yeah. about Marvin Bagley. <laughs> so we can talk about Marvin Bagley. That's yes, my guy. I exactly. love Marvin Bagley. Yes, I do. 
I love Marvin Bagley. Hey, I, I watch these games tonight, and I think to myself, how would these draft guys fit in games like this? It's hard to find a place for any of them to fit in against the Warriors. But um, I do think it's you know instructional when you're watching these NBA playoffs to just like I try to view those players through the prism of how do they fit in in this uh, in this new NBA because it's a different deal. It really is. It really is. They will hunt you down. If I mean, if if you if you can't cut it defensively, they hunt you down. And obviously, big guys have uh, you know have been able to. You're not getting the monster big guy games like you used to, even from the best of like like Carl Towns or whoever. Right? Um, it's harder to be a big guy now. It is for sure. And this is a big guy heavy class. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Up top, you got DeAndre Ayton, Jaron Jackson, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter, Marvin Bagley. Go down the line. There's some guys in the middle of the first round and the late first round. Um, All right. Let me bigs. ask you one draft question before we get out of here. Remember last year when you were saying you did think it was possible that even if you got down to the the Donovan Mitchells and the and the monks of the world – that if those guys ended up being the best player out of the class, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing ever, no, right? Like, like last They'd year. They'd never crack it. Yeah, last yeah. year I felt that there were nine or ten guys, ten guys really, that had a shot to be the best player from the draft, and that was more of a testament to how really deep and strong the draft was. The number I've heard the most is five or six for this year they say it's a five or six player draft whatever yeah, right yeah. I, I think, think that's that too? fair yeah i would say six that's probably the number i'd be at i think i would go luka Doncic, deandre and jaron jackson mo Bamba, wendell carter marvin bagley um then michael porter maybe so like seven i, th- I think seven's fair seven yeah yeah i mean some people might well, you don't think mo you don't think listen i like mo Bamba just fine but you don't think he's you, you don't think that Mo Bamba is not going to be the best player look, out of this class? I mean, look, part of it's like if a guy ahead of him doesn't meet expectations. So if Doncic is never Correct. the scorer you expect, but mm-hmm. Bamba becomes Rudy Gobert with a three-pointer, if DeAndre Ayton never defends well, then Bamba can be the best. Or like with Wendell Carter, if he becomes yeah. like Al Horford, another Al Horford type and everybody else isn't what you expect. Bamba is like a, a not a great defensive player and he doesn't shoot threes. DeAndre Ayton can't defend and so on and so forth. Then he can like, uh, but beyond that, I don't see the, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with some of the hype for Trey young. Um, I think Mikhail Bridges is a little bit, uh, I think he's a really terrific prospect, but I don't think he'd be in that group. Miles Bridges either. Um, I'd say six or seven. I think that's fair. Including my guy, Colin Sexton. No, <laughs> but no, but, you know what? But you know what? Like if somebody wants to put him in there, I mean, I get it, but yeah, let me say I, I, I want to put him in there, but I get it because of his that, dynamic ability. Yeah. Let me say this about the Wendell Carter guy. Cause you said Horford and everybody says Horford. Everybody like just says that in passing. And I'm not, I'm, this is not a criticism. I'm saying everybody says that in passing. Like that's his is, comp. Is that really the comp? That people no, everybody out. says I, that. I, haven't, I, I don't. I haven't seen that out there much, to be honest. Oh, I've heard that from talent okay. evaluators. Really? Oh, like inside the NBA circles. Sure. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. They'll I, say they'll say he's like Al Horford or he's Al Horford or whatever. And if that everybody throws that around like like that's just kind of what he is. If he really is 
I mean, maybe my opinion is higher on Al Horford than everybody else that he can't go five or six. If he's really Al Horford, he shouldn't be going five or six because Al Horford is friggin' awesome and yeah. perfect for this NBA. Like he's literally the perfect guy to have in this NBA offensively and sure. defensively. Yeah. And, and right? look, a lot we need to go right for Wendell Carter to become Al Horford. He still needs to improve his defensive um, uh, lateral quickness, still needs to get better defending pick yeah. and rolls. They played zone at Duke, right? They played zone. No, it, and um, it, it's what bothers me, though, when it's almost like guys like Al Horford, it's, it's kind of like when people get comped to them, it's like it's possible to just easily be Al Horford or like they do it with Draymond. It's like, dude, no, it's yeah. like, that's the reason these guys are so awesome. Right. Like we never say, Oh, he could be like, I don't know. He could be like Kevin Durant. Like nobody, nobody said that like for real. That's the tough part. It's like, you know, it's like, Oh, find an Al Horford or a Draymond Green. It's like, good luck to you. Good luck to you. How many guys have been, comp to them over the years and that that's going to be the issue with trey young it's like a lot of a lot of people are going to be chasing the next steph curry right chasing right. the next steph but and he's my, and he yeah. might and he might be eddie house i mean he might like even if he's this is my thing with trey young like even if he's 70 percent of damian lillard that's a really really good player but it's not a guy you want to draft with the fifth or sixth pick totally fair i can't wait for the lottery i can't um, wait to listen to your next episode of draft class. I can't wait to read the ringer draft guide. That's going to be completely updated. Yes. I'm so excited for everything. And I like doing the, uh, late night talks after we get to just watch a basketball game and appreciate everybody that listens, Kevin. It's always a pleasure. We'll talk next week. Hell yeah, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks everybody for listening. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes and we will talk to you next week. Hey.